Chapter 3, Part 1 of Junior Classics, Volume 2, Folk Tales and Myths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Myra Parker. Junior Classics, Volume 2, Folk Tales and Myths, by William Patton. Chapter 3, The Story of Lohengrin, Part 1, The Plot Against the Beautiful Elsa of Brabant, by Constance Maud. Once upon a time there lived, in the ancient city of Antwerp, a beautiful maiden called Elsa. She dwelt in a grand old palace. The walls were thick as any fortress, and the towers looked proudly down on the town. Elsa's father was the Duke of Brabant, a noble prince who for long years had faithfully served his liege lord, the King of Germany, and had won much honor to Brabant. Elsa had an only brother, the young Prince Godfrey, and these two loved each other more than any other brother and sister in the world. One day, the duke was taken ill, so ill that he could no longer attend to the affairs of state. And a few days later, all Brabant knew that their beloved duke lay dying. As their mother had been dead many years, and they had no near relatives, the duke then sent for his kinsman, Count Talramund. This man was imperious and hot-tempered, with manners uncouth as a bear, but he was brave as a lion, and the duke had full confidence in his good heart and knightly honor. The count hastened to obey the royal summons. My trusted friend and kinsman, Frederick of Telramund, said the duke, I am dying. With my last breath, I confide to thy care my beloved children, Elsa and Godfrey. Watch over them, protect them from all ill, till Godfrey be of an age to reign, and Elsa is married to a husband she loves. Until then, I appoint thee as regent and protector in Brabant. Count Tellerman knelt by the side of the dying duke and swore solemnly to fulfill the trust and, if needs be, to lay down his life for the young prince and princess. Thank heaven, murmured the duke, and now, my cousin, is there aught that I can do for thee in return for so great a service, he asked. O oh, most noble prince, there is one boon I would ask. Were it not so great a gift, I scarce dare even to name it, answered the count. Whatever thy wish, cousin, it is granted, if it be in my power to bestow it, said the duke readily. What is thy request? Most gracious sovereign, stammered the count, growing red to the roots of his tawny beard. I love the princess Elsa. Wilt thou give her to me to be my wife? Elsa started. Without stirring and her face deadly pale, she listened breathlessly for her father's reply. Gladly I would give my child to thy safekeeping, noble cousin, but in this matter I must leave the maiden free to choose for herself. If she accept thy hand, thou hast my full consent and blessing. More than this I cannot say. The count knelt and pressed his lips to the hand of the dying duke, who, blessing Telramund, sank back, exhausted, and bade him farewell. Shortly after, the good prince died, at peace with all. Elsa, heartbroken at her father's death, found her only consolation in her young brother, Godfrey. For a long time, she refused to see anyone else. Count Telramund often sought opportunity to speak with her, but she avoided him with dread. 
Then Tellerman changed his tone and demanded her hand as his right, the dying bequest of her father, the duke. My father left me free, answered Elsa, indignant. Never would he wish me to give my hand where I could not give my heart also, Sir Count. No woman and very few men had ever dared to contradict his wishes. Sooner or later, he vowed, she would be his. Now there was a wicked lady of a tall, commanding figure, dark and handsome, or Truda by name. She was very learned and had studied all manner of sorceries, which enabled her to exert the magic power of a witch. Her forefathers had once been mighty princes, who reigned over Brabant and all the countries round. She regarded Elsa and Godfrey as usurpers, holding what rightfully belonged to her, and she hated them with a bitter hatred. Also, there was another and a deeper cause for her hatred towards Elsa, and that was that she herself had long wished to marry Count Telramund. One day, Telramund came to Ertruda and told her how Elsa had dared to despise his love and reject his hand. That he should confide in her pleased Ertruda well. Also, that Elsa should refuse the Count, though she loved her none the more for doing so. The impertinent minx to take on such airs! Telramund found comfort in Ertruda's indignation. His heart was set on marrying Elsa, and he was willing to wait long if only he might win her in the end. When Ortruda saw this, she laid a deep plot by means of which she hoped to turn his love from Elsa. In the depths of the forest was a lonely tower. Here Ortruda was wont to retire and study sorcery for long days and nights together. She became at last so practiced that she could by enchantments change people into different birds and beasts. One day Elsa and Godfrey were roaming together alone in the forest. Ortruda always on the watch, followed them unseen at a distance. After a while, they sat down to rest by the side of a pool, whose still depths, it was said, no one had ever fathomed. Presently, Elsa and Godfrey were startled by hearing a piercing, pitiful cry, like that of some animal caught in a trap. Godfrey started up, crying, I must go and free that poor beast. Rest here a while, Elsa. I will return shortly. He sprang lightly through the thickly growing bushes and trees, and was soon hidden from sight. Elsa waited by the pool, thinking of all the happy plans she and Godfrey had been making for the future, when he would reign as duke. The trees overhead rustled strangely, and Elsa, looking up, saw a great white swan circling round, and waving his wings wildly, as though in distress. Then, with a sad cry, he flew away. Elsa grew uneasy. Surely an hour must have passed. Yet Godfrey had not returned. She called aloud, Godfrey, Godfrey, where art thou? But there was no answer, save the echo of her own voice, which rang through the wood as though mocking her anxious cry. Then, in deadly fear, she started up and tried to trace his steps, but the dense thicket left no track. Pale and trembling, Elsa returned at last to the palace and told how Godfrey had mysteriously disappeared. That night, the forest was searched from end to end with torches and lanterns, and all the following day the search continued, but not a trace of the missing boy could be found. Two days after Godfrey's disappearance, Ortruda came to Telramund. She appeared in deep distress, saying she had something to reveal and dared no longer keep silence. Alas, replied Ertruda, what I know is well nigh too terrible to be spoken. Who will credit my dark tale? Listen, she continued, 
Thy search for Godfrey is useless. Two days ago I sat alone meditating in my tower in the forest, when I espied Elsa and Godfrey sitting together by the pool, that awful pool where, tis said, a drowning man may sink for a thousand years, yet never touch the bottom. On a sudden I heard a cry, and looking saw Elsa, aided by a stranger whose face was turned to me, push her young brother backward into the dread pool. Horrible, most horrible, cried Telramund. Thou sawest this with thine own eyes? I saw it with these same eyes, that I will swear, though it were with my last breath, replied Ortruda. Who could dream that such black sin dwelt in one so young and fair? I, said Ortruda, eyeing him askance, and knowing that thou lovest her, I would have kept silence, but when thine enemies whispered that thou, being next of kin, might thyself have caused the lad's disappearance, then my love for thee made me bold to speak the dread secret. I thank thee, Ortruda, thou hast ever shown thyself my faithful friend, said Telramund. It were better had I given my love to thee, instead of wasting it on one so unworthy. My father's house once ruled in this land, and, in justice, should be ruling still. Ah, were poor or true to queen, with what joy would she lay her kingdom at thy feet, noblest and bravest of men. Thou art worthy to be a queen, cried Telramund, and that shalt thou be, noble and wise or true for here do I swear to make thee my wife, instead of her in whom I have been so woefully deceived. As for the murderess, her cruel deed shall be brought to light. She shall be tried by our king, Henry of Germany, and both she and her base lover will assuredly be condemned to death. In obedience to Tellerman's orders, Elsa was then put under arrest and placed in a dark prison cell to await her trial before the king. She was kept a close prisoner, no one save the followers of Tellerman and Ortruda being allowed to come near her. In her grief and despair, she knelt one night and prayed, one long, bitter cry for help. And all at once her prayer seemed taken up, as though on angels' wings, above the narrow prison cell, up, up, till it pierced the utmost heights of the sky above. Elsa listened till she heard the faint echo fade away far overhead, and as she wondered what it might mean, a gentle sleep closed her eyes. She dreamt, and in her dream she saw a noble knight in shining silver armor. Swiftly through the air he came, and descending to her prison cell, stood by her side. No word did he speak, but with looks and signs he bade her banish all fear and sorrow and trust in him, for he was sent by heaven in answer to her cry. When Elsa woke, the bitterness of her grief had passed, the vision had departed, but she felt assured her prayer was heard, and that, sooner or later, the heaven-sent night of her dream would come and bring her deliverance. End of chapter 3, part 1 Recording by Myra Parker